difference between a strong man and a weak one is that the former does not give up after a defeat, Woodrow Wilson. Rarely does invention or progress happen without hardship and desperation. Many people recoil in the face of crisis, yet it's the person that looks beyond the obstacle and sees opportunity who seizes the moment. Today is episode two of The Road to Braggadocia with my friend Steve McCaskill. Steve is an innovator, a creator, and a doer. And despite setback after setback, Steve's gaze is always fixed well ahead on his journey. I'm Joey Bland, and from Circle O Productions, this is Seasons. So Steve, the uh, connection with Patagonia and Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, just kind of the vision for their business and, and organic cotton is really amazing part of your story that you're tied into. Uh, I do know also that you you began growing um, colored cotton, which honestly I've never heard of. So educate me on that. Well. I think it was like in 98, uh, maybe 97, um, there was a guy in Arizona that was going to pay $3 a pound for colored cotton. And wow. he, he had the seed. And the colors were mocha, brown, red, and green. Those hmm. colors. Okay. And uh, so, so the cotton would grow and you would have green cotton. Yes. When the bowls opened up, yep. it was green, red, or brown, or mocha, a darker brown. Mm. Beautiful. I still have samples of it. You know, I, I, I hid it. I, I, I took samples yeah. and hid it. Nobody yeah. can find it. <laughs> but I need to put it in my will. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> So-and-so is going to get the colored cotton. <laughs> <laughs> but this guy, obviously, uh, and again, what got me was... $3 a pound when uh, I was getting a dollar a pound for organic white cotton. Yeah. You know. So uh, the word got out that when the cotton started opening, you know, like in August or September, I can't remember, people were pulling off of I-55. There was 18-wheeler trucks parked in front of the field in Braggadocia. Nobody ever heard of Color cotton, right? And uh, you had become Braggadocia's tourist attraction. That's right. Yeah, well, with colored cotton, one of many times. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so then we started picking it, picking the cotton, and we had to keep it separate. And oh, uh, my father-in-law and his nephew and the nephew's father, everybody started kind of freaking out because nobody thought about. What about the cotton seed? You know, the, a cotton gin separates the lint from the seed, right? the cotton seed. And they started thinking that if they sold that cotton seed to a dairy business like up north in Wisconsin or something, would the milk turn green <laughs> or red? 
So I created a potential catastrophe. Yeah. Okay. So when so they tried to gin my cotton all at once, okay, mm. and get it over with. And then uh, I forget, I think they threw the seed away. Yeah. You know, they were scared to death of that. Then the buyer went bankrupt. Mm. and uh, Such as farming. Yeah, <laughs> such as farming. He yeah. went bankrupt. So I didn't have a, another market for this colored cotton. Wow. And so you so, had this crop. Yeah, and we couldn't sell it. Couldn't sell it. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what – I knew that uh, maybe like Levi Strauss – was interested in brown cotton, and they were going to use it to make brown jeans without dye right. and stuff like that. But I never really could sell it, and so we took it to the warehouse mm. where all the other cotton was. And uh, I met uh, another uh, milling company in Sylacauga, Alabama. Mant was his name, and uh, we got acquainted. He had like 800 bales of color cotton. Wow. And because they thought it was going to explode, yeah, you know, take off, yeah. and he was stuck with his too, yeah. And uh, so one day, the warehouse in Carothersville, where the cotton was stored, all the cotton around here, caught on fire. Wow! And it burned down to the ground. And uh, I got, I had, they had insurance. I didn't get three dollars a pound, but I got the going price for burned up cotton in a warehouse. So I called <laughs> yeah. Mant Jackson uh, in Sylacauga, Alabama. Yeah. And I said, Mant, I hate to tell you this, but I've sold my colored cotton. <laughs> he goes, what? Where'd you get, find a buyer? Give me his name right now. Yeah. He goes, our board is thinking about firing me, you know. Yeah. And I said, you, did you hear about the fire at Crothersville? He goes, yeah. I said, that's where my cotton was. Yeah. I got an insurance check. Oh, man. But that was the first and last time we did color cotton. Yeah. But I kept doing organic cotton. And the coolest thing was uh, we were selling the cotton to uh, a mill in North Carolina, Avondale Mills. Yeah. And uh, so here we are organic, and we were putting more ground in transition which uh, the transitional period is three years of no conventional farming, no synthetic fertilizer, you know. And after the third year, you can be certified organic. Right. So uh, I was getting that low price for the non, I mean, it was transitional cotton. Yeah. It wasn't certified yet. So I came up with the idea, why don't I create a price for Transitional organic cotton. And it's a win-win situation for the buyer, the end user, and the farmer. Mm -hmm. Because if you buy this piece, if you buy this shirt or these pants, and it has on the label, this is made with transitional organic cotton, right. then you are helping somebody become certified organic. Mm -hmm. You're rewarding them before he gets the premium price. Yep. And it worked like a charm. Patagonia liked it, Avondale Mills liked it, and so I created the first transitional brand at a premium. Hmm. Okay. Yep. And we later did the same trick—not a trick, excuse me—but we we did the same strategy with transitional rice. Right. 
Okay. So there's a value there uh, that wasn't being recognized before. That's correct. But you had the vision to say, you know, there's a premium for this. That's right. Someone hasn't gotten to the organic stage yet where their premium's more, but there is a a, a mid-range premium here. That's that's right. Yeah. And and I, the story behind it is a win-win deal. Yeah. And everybody loved it, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. So you've got the you've got the cotton business really going pretty well. You've innovated, you've created this space for transitional cotton and created a market. We had a market for the organic cotton seed. Yeah. We had a guy that drove all the way from Idaho. He had a organic dairy operation this was Hmm. this is when there was just a few of them right you know horizon started or horizon organic dairy started Mm -hmm. and this guy had he was raising organic milk Mm -hmm. and uh but cottonseed uh can influence the milk production more than any other single ingredient Really? Yes. I didn't know that. So for dairy cows, cottonseed is is one of the most important ingredients. That's correct. Mm. And a guy drove from Idaho, and he would pick up a, a truckload. Mm-hmm. He would take it back, and he would call me, and he'd say, have you got another load ready? But he bought all of it. So I, now I'm selling uh, the lint, transitional, and the cottonseed yeah. at a premium. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've really got this great operation going i mean yeah um very non-traditional um finding ways to monetize um your product but also to uh create more value and like you said a win-win-win for everyone involved exactly then we one more thing yeah because uh, i'm really excited about this i wish we could do this again but uh a cotton gin separates the lint from the seed, mm-hmm. and it, it it blows out the trash in the back end of behind the building. Yeah. Okay. And it's full of wonderful nutrients and stuff, mm. uh, sticks and leaves and bowls and all this stuff, and it was being piled up back there. Yep. And so, a friend of mine, Dr. Van Ayers. He used to be with Missouri Extension. Uh, he was working with me with organic cotton. He was, at that time, the only person that was willing to help me <laughs> figure out how to do this. Yeah. You know, nobody knew how to do it. Right. So we start, he got me a grant, and we bought a composting machine, mm. a self-propelled, no, excuse me, a tractor-propelled composting machine. So we took the organic trash we took it to a field, and we windrowed it out. And it's we this this composting machine. When you pull it inside this hooded device, you had this revolving chamber shaft mixing the, all of it together. all of it together. Yep. And we were spraying water on it. Okay. From the inside of the hood, mm-hmm. and I got my temperature probe and that immediately started building a heat hmm. so i forget when it gets up to 100 maybe in 120 degrees or something then you run the composting machine to flip it again and aerate it yep. and eventually it quit making the heat wow 
And so we started, then I bought a spreader and we started spreading this on our farms. Yeah. Uh, black topsoil. Yeah. It looks like potting soil that you buy at Lowe's or somewhere. Yeah. So that's just something that was out in the back of the gin. Yes. That was really the um, refuse. It was the throwaway, yes. the trash. And you're like, we've got to do something with this. Surely there's right. a way. And then develop this system where now you have this um, kind of recirculating. You're bringing the cotton in. And then the cotton uh, matter is actually going back out and feeding the field. Right. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, It was really a highlight. One of the highlights of my farming career mm. was making that black potting soil. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. You what, love to innovate. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, luckily, uh, you know, we're getting ready to talk about the tornado, but luckily the composting machine was left in the field <laughs> and it didn't get destroyed. Yeah. But uh, after the tornado, it just changed me. Yeah. Uh, it was, um, I don't know. It was a really tough time, which yeah. you want to. Well, so yeah. So you're, you've really got this great business going. Yeah. You, y'all are, y'all are really firing on all cylinders. You're that creative drive in you is innovating and finding new ways to do things. Sure. And uh, you're really being productive, successful, and, and totally out of your control here almost 17, a little over 17 years ago, right? April of 06, I think. That's correct. Um, your world changes in a matter of minutes mm -hmm. with, go ahead and talk about this tornado that blows through. <laughs> the, the, funny, the funniest part, uh, back then I was uh, also, I was writing uh, an investment letter for a company in North Carolina, uh, stocks and commodities. Uh, and I enjoyed doing that. And I was at my desk in our bedroom writing, getting ready to send it in to hmm. a, a worker I had that published everything. Yeah. Uh, so it's late in the afternoon and I was watching Memphis weather and I forget the weatherman. And all of a sudden he was talking about a tornado forming in Marmaduke, Arkansas which is west of here, directly west of here. Yeah. And he said, this tornado is moving straight east. It's not going northeast. It's moving straight east. Mm -hmm. And braggadocia was in the pathway. Yeah. And so I was still writing my letter and watching everything. And, and Marmaduke is how many miles, roughly? Probably, flies? Uh, probably an hour and a half from here, okay. maybe, something okay. like that. Yeah. I don't know how many miles that is. Yeah, but 60 miles or so. But, I mean, yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but here comes the tornado, you know, and it wasn't changing directions at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when it, when it got to be maybe a mile west of, our, of Braggadocia, uh, we were told that it looked like that it was joined with another tornado. Oh, wow. And now we were looking at, like, back then it was called an F. You know, it wasn't an EF. It was, was it an E? It was an E, mm -hmm. uh, an E4. It was an E, yep. they, only the letter E. But I, they, it looked like it was a four. Yeah. And maybe close to a five. And it was a mile wide. 
Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I kept talking to Kay. You know, she was reading a book in the bed, and I kept talking to her about this tornado stuff. And and when it got about a mile, maybe a mile and a half, two miles west of here, I went out in the front yard, and I saw it. I ran back in the house. I said, we got to go to her cousin's house, which is just a quarter of a mile away. Yeah. I said, we got to get in the basement. They had they had the only basement in Braggadocio. <laughs> and she goes, I'm not going anywhere. I'm reading a book. <laughs> wow. And so I went back outside and looked at it again. It was closer, and you could see it was brown because yeah. it was sucking up dirt from the farms. Yeah. You know, so I went back in, and I hate to say this, but I started cussing. <laughs> and she got up. She said, okay, so we got in our car. We drove over there as fast as I could, and when we got to their back door, I opened my door first, and the wind took the door and just slammed just slammed it towards the front. Huh. And stuff was flying in the air. We got in her cousin's house, and they had just gotten home from riding around mm. looking at farms. Yeah. They, did, they didn't even know there was a tornado. Oh, wow. And so I started screaming, and we got to get in the basement. Yep. And uh, so we get we get down in the basement, and just shortly after that, we heard bang, 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 like a bang sound. And it didn't last long, it maybe five minutes to three minutes. So we came up, you know, on the steps from the basement, and we noticed that the roof and ceiling was gone in her cousin's house. Yeah. And Terry, uh, her her cousin's wife, she starts obviously screaming, and I went, oh, my God. I mean, we were just blown away. Yeah. Um, but I left pretty quick. I told Kay and Terry and Gary that I was going to check. There was a, a single lady that lived next door, so I went to her house first, mm-hmm. and she was okay, but her house was destroyed. I don't know how she made it. Wow. And so I got her, I got her up and I got her out of the house. And I said, are you okay? She goes, no, I'm not okay, but go on and see what else you need to be doing. And so uh, our babysitter, when the kids were little, uh, her, they lived in a trailer and they were sucked out Uh. and dumped out into a field. Wow. And she was killed and her... Her two boys, they were grown adults. Uh, they were banged up with debris, you know, that was in the air. The church, the Baptist church was right across the street. It was almost destroyed. And this is Sunday night, and there was several people there going to church that Still night. Still there. Yep. They were hiding in the very back of the kitchen, and no one got hurt. Mm. Uh, we finally, We finally got to our house. Uh, our car was destroyed, so we walked across the field to get to our house. Two-thirds of it was gone, hmm. two-thirds. And uh, the the part that was still standing didn't have a roof on it. Hmm. So, uh, Was the bedroom still there where you were working? No. It was gone. It was gone. Hmm. But where the kids' old bedroom was still there, that night we, we slept. You know, this tornado did not have rain in it. That hmm. that was a blessing, yeah. Because nothing got wet, hmm. and uh, so we 
we, Kay and I went to sleep in the girls' bedroom, and all you could hear were chainsaws and backhoes. And, you know, the National Guard was brought in to Carothersville and Braggadocia. Uh, I, my mother lived in Carothersville at the time, and she was okay, but she was really shook up, you yeah. know, like yeah. everybody was. Yeah. Then I finally, the next day, I finally got to come here where our farm headquarters was, and everything was gone. Mm. Uh, we had a, a hundred-year-old barn. We had grain bins. We had a real nice farm shop, two-story farmhouse that uh, a guy named Tater lived in, mm-hmm. one of our farm workers, and all the equipment was destroyed. Mm. And one tractor, Total loss. Total loss. One tractor was a quarter of a mile away. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the cotton gin was just east of here. Mm-hmm. There was nothing left except the press where they smashed the cotton lint mm-hmm. and wrapped it. You know, that was the only thing left standing because it was so heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, the office was closed. I mean, gone. Um, it was. And so I called uh, Monday morning. I called uh, Avondale Mills in North Carolina and told Gene, my buyer, what happened. I said, I said, we're done. I said, I can't, the gin's gone. My farm is gone. We can't grow any more organic cotton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he goes, oh, no, what am I going to do? I said, there's some t- people in Texas that may still be growing it, you know, and I, I don't know. But I think eventually they were buying organic cotton uh, from foreign countries. Mm. India was doing some, I think. Yeah. And then I called uh, a rice mill in Brinkley, Arkansas. Yeah. That same morning. Uh, and we, Carter, my son-in-law, and I had gone down there maybe three months prior to the tornado to meet the owners. Mm-hmm. And because Dr. Van Ayers kept bringing it up, you need to grow organic rice. You mm-hmm. need to grow organic rice. Yeah. So here we are. So we go down, we call them, and I said, we've lost everything, but I want you to buy organic rice. He goes, let me make a call. And he calls me right back about 20 minutes later. He said, I said, we can do 80 acres because yep. we had irrigation on 80 acres. That's all we had. Yep. And he called back. He said, we'll pay $9 a bushel for it. I said, that, that'll that work for us. So that's how we got into the organic rice business. Mm. So you take this tragedy that literally sweeps through Braggadocia, levels your whole operation that was yep. just really going well, and the following day, you're already ahead thinking about grain, thinking about rice, right. and you pivot and you're down in Brinkley, Arkansas the following day getting set up to launch this new chapter. Yeah. Circumstances out of our control often dictate life's next steps. We can choose to shrink back in passivity or press forward with assertiveness. Being proactive is always the preferred path, but requires resilience and determination. At Seasons Podcast, our purpose is to educate people about land investment with the goal 
of seeing 100 people who don't currently own land become landowners. Our method is helping people reconnect with land through hearing other people's stories. For more information, go to our website, delta-farmland.com. Thank you for joining us today.